This interview is one in a series recorded by the Charlie Waller Memorial Trust as part of a Health Education England funded programme to transform outcomes for children and young people with extra vulnerability to mental health difficulties. The series includes interviews with a range of experts who each have specialist knowledge on the needs and experiences of a particular vulnerable group. This is an interview with Claire Parker. Could you just tell me who you are please Claire? Um, my name's Claire Parker, I'm a trainee clinical psychologist based down in Exeter. I recently completed my PhD research um, exploring the relationship between children's mental health and exclusion from school. So I am interested in children's mental health and well-being and how we can sort of intervene and to support children. Great. So that's why um, we wanted to talk to you because this series we're looking at children who have a particular vulnerability to mental ill health mm -hmm. and um, clearly children who are excluded are in that group. So could you tell me a little bit about your research? Yeah. So my research overall was really interested in exploring the relationship between children's exclusions from school and their mental health and well-being. When we first started looking into the research we realised that actually there was a very little, although a very plausible relationship and you'd think there'd be a lot of research on there, there actually was quite little really that looked particularly at that relationship um, specifically. So we realised there was a gap and we needed to know more about w how one impacted the other and likewise. So that's where, um, why we sort of started the research. Great. So what did your research tell you about the sorts of children who are more likely to be excluded from school? So if we look at government statistics around who's more likely to be excluded from school, we know that children who have a special educational need recognised or not six to seven times more likely to be excluded from school than their peers. We know that children who are eligible for free school meals are four times more likely to be excluded than their peers who aren't eligible. We know boys are three times more likely to be excluded than girls. And we also know that children between the ages of 11 and 16, they're more likely to be excluded than those in primary. However, the primary school exclusions are slowly have been increasing in the recent publications on, on the rates of exclusion. So we know there's a group of children that have these vulnerabilities and they're they are more likely than their peers to be excluded and, and it's compounded difficulties that contribute to this complex relationship really. And do we know much about um, the reasons that they get excluded? So the main reason given for a child excluded from school is um, disruptive behaviour. That is the majority of exclusions. Also what we do know is that although these are um, what's reported to us in the government statistics actually from clinical experience and going to talk to teachers and school staff there's so many more hidden exclusions going on that in a way are sort of hiding the true scale of the problem so actually for all these children that we're seeing that are being excluded there's probably a handful more or so or more that have had some sort of exclusion um, and we we don't know enough yet about that group of hidden children um, that are still presenting with difficulties within the classroom environment. So what form might that type of exclusion take? Um, so exclusions can be what the hidden ones, mm. so they tend to be things like the child might be sent home early from school, 
So when we interviewed some parents, that often what they reported was that um, they would be told to come and collect them at lunchtime, so some more internal type exclusions that weren't recognised as an official exclusion, but essentially the child was still being excluded from the activity within the classroom. Um, it could be that the child's told not to come in on that day because they're going to a school trip, so we spoke to a number of parents where that had been the case. Just simple things outside, basically, where the child is, is made to be outside of the classroom environment where they should be with their peers. Even a child sort of being within the corridor, essentially they're being excluded, not in a technical term, but they're not part of the, the educational environment that they, they should be within with their, with their peers. So you talked about um, interviewing families. Mm -hmm. What sort of impact did you find that exclusion has on children and also on their families? A massive impact. So we interviewed all the parents of the families that we worked with in, um, in the study. And we also spoke to the teachers as well. From the parents' perspective, it was very much, although the exclusion may have been a day, two days, the actual uh, repercussions of this were much greater. So the impact was felt on a number of different levels. So we, we drew up a model to sort of try and represent this. When parents talked about their child being on the exclusion being an event, a discrete event, but actually they'd been already on this complex journey, this very difficult journey with their child through the education system, through health systems, um, knowing that there was something that they needed for their child but not being able to quite get there and almost like the exclusion being like the big event that that happened for the child but not still making it through to get the support for them. So we saw um, impact for the parents so they talked a lot about sort of stigma and feelings that they couldn't do enough so there was a lot of blame and responsibility that parents were feeling. Um, a lot of impact on actually their well-being and mental health. So we noted um, a rise in sort of depression, anxiety presentations. We, for the child themselves, this is all parent reported. We didn't actually get to speak to the children, but the child themselves, so parents reporting that being separated from their peers, not knowing whether they were in or not in or where they should be. So there was lots of impact on sort of their self-confidence and self awareness of them, themselves, talking about themselves as naughty and recognising themselves only as the naughty child, oh, will I always do this, and um, ha not having a real understanding of what, what was going on for them. Also, obviously, impacting the educational attainment for the child, so they were missing out and they were falling behind, and that was, that was common um, reporting for the parents. And did you hear from the parents and the, um, the families about things that they felt that perhaps weren't happening that might have helped and, and, and how soon they were involved, for example? Yeah. So interestingly, I think it really varied. We, we met a lot of parents that were very confident and would advocate very strongly for their child and felt able to do that. But we also met a, a group of parents that didn't feel confident in the school systems, didn't understand what you know what they were able to talk to the teachers about what they couldn't talk to the teachers i think it highlights this sort of um, discrepancy between health and education and where who sh who should the parent be going to to get the support and i think parents talked a lot about you know it's not the teacher i don't know should i talk to the teacher should i talk to my gp and 
and I think that mirrors some of the conversations actually as professionals we're having about who, where this responsibility lies. Parents reported around um, communication being key. So actually, even when teachers would say very little to the parent, but they would still communicate something about what was going on, that for the parent was uh, meant a lot. So I think for those parents that didn't feel like they were included in decision making, didn't feel they understood what, what had really led up to the exclusion, or what was going on for their child at that time, or what the school had actually done, um, I think that was key. So I think where schools feel maybe they don't want to communicate because they feel like they haven't done enough or they feel like they haven't done their best, I think that came across in the teacher interviews. Actually, parents just want them to be honest, and I think that transparency was potentially lacking for some parents. And I think there's something around um, how we join up the the support for the child so so that for these parents that don't feel confident to advocate or know where to go to or who to turn to that they know there's someone within the school system that that will be able to sort of guide them signpost them to the right support and you were talking about some children who who have I suppose difficulties already yeah. ending up being excluded and that the exclusion itself can cause yeah. some difficulties for those children. Can you talk to us a bit more about what you learned about that relationship? So we, um, one of our studies was looking at the British Child and Adolescent Mental Health Survey. So we, we tracked children um, uh, so who'd been excluded in, at the baseline, so that was in 2004, and then we looked forward three years to the follow-up survey in 2007, and we looked again at whether... Uh, they'd been excluded again at that point. Um, we also looked at things like whether they had any diagnoses, so had anything been picked up or recognised? Did the teachers say that there'd been any difficulties within the school? Had the parents reported any difficulties? And we used that to look to see whether the child's needs had been recognised across the two time points um, and, and, and if the exclusions had happened or not. What we found was... Firstly, that there was a bi-directional relationship. So children who were being excluded were going on to have poorer mental health and well-being. And likewise, those children who had poorer mental health and well-being in the baseline were also going on to be excluded. So it was working two ways in that respect. What we, we couldn't look at causality in that, so we wouldn't be able to say X but we could see the relationship between the two. So within that study, what interested us about this relationship between exclusion and mental health and that bi-directionalness was around actually had anything been recognised, so had the children's needs been picked up. And what we found was, not surprisingly, the children that did have recognised difficulties were those with the disruptive behaviour, so that was the biggest recognition within that group. Those children who were still being excluded but had unrecognised needs actually were, I think, around four t times more likely to be excluded. So there's still a really big group of children that we're not picking up that are still facing exclusion from school. Interestingly, within that group, it's children that have emotional difficulties. So we're thinking about children who might be feeling very low or very anxious. And I think in a classroom environment, that's more easy for a child to sort of be hidden, be potentially not picked up compared to a child who's acting, uh, you know, behavioural difficulties for the teacher to manage. So I think that's where that, that
hidden sort of um, recognition is happening. So, so we did see a severity increase, but we also saw that there was a lot of unrecognised need within that group. Are you able to say anything about what it was about those children who perhaps had low mood or anxiety or other mental health difficulties that weren't being detected as that? What, what, what was getting noticed? What was getting them excluded? Was that around them not being in school enough? Or We didn't look at that particularly within the study. Um, the survey didn't ask much more, so we were bound by the questions obviously asked by the survey. Uh, but these are really interesting things to think about, and I think it's it's where where we as professionals need to think about well, how how can we recognise these children that are going and you know un, with unmet needs that that actually if we could understand a bit more about whether they're not feeling. Um, you know, they are experiencing low mood or anxiety, how that might impact on them attending school, um, interacting with their peers, completing work, those sorts of things, um, and where we can intervene as, as professionals. So <clears throat> although we didn't um, specifically look at that, I think it's a really important area. So what do we know about the sorts of things that do help and that we might um, think, schools might think to look at in terms of how to prevent some of the exclusions with particularly with these children who have got unmet um, mental health needs? There is a lot of research that's been done on whole school approaches, on individual approaches with children to support them, not necessarily to prevent exclusions specifically that would impact on, on that. Um, around children's health and well-being, and and these have been around for for many years. A recent systematic review, um, which looked at all um, interventions that were in schools um, in the UK and the USA as well, found that there were studies that could see the impact that interventions would have on um, preventing exclusion. So this specifically looked at that. They weren't uh, long-lived, so the interventions were short in terms of their effectiveness, but they were effective at that moment, and I still think that would potentially have a positive impact on, on later outcomes for the child. Um, interventions, there's so many, and I think it's about understanding for that school, for that child, what might be the best approach. We know that um, bullying has huge implications for children in terms of their development, well-being, and not only in the in the moment, but actually later in adult life. Um, I'm working with adults that still recall bullying, and it's still having an impact on how how they sort of make sense of their life and where they are today. So there's lots of different ways that we can intervene, and I think it's not necessarily that we focus on exclusion as the outcome, but all these things around children's mental health and well-being will have a, an impact on, on whether an exclusion is needed. So if uh, the, it is decided that an exclusion is needed, are there things that we can do to ensure that that exclusion is going to be as uh, least damaging or as beneficial as possible? Yeah, so I think, like we say, the, the difficulty, and there's lots of debate about whether it's zero exclusions or whether, you know, exclusions are needed. And I think that's something, again, that more discussions are, be, are being had about that. Um, what we uh, often think about in the research that we're doing is we're talking about a very small number of children at a sort of the top of the pyramid. So we've got the general school population that will be doing quite well, might have different things at different points that need support with, but actually 
and right at that very top of the pyramid are, are children that potentially need um, need some more specific support. So it might be being supported within um, more specialised uh, schools. And then we've got that vulnerable population that kind of I think this work is is talking about that population of children that are likely to be being excluded or not being uh, recognised as having these needs, yet sort of jumping between schools, in and out of different schools. And it's that bit that we can really think about how we, if a child isn't, if mainstream schooling isn't for this child, how we can make that stepped approach to the right school placement for them. That's not done in a crisis, that's not done as a sort of reactive response, but that's planned, that's proactive, and that has the child's best needs at heart and communicating what that child wants as well because I think often when I've worked with children who've been excluded they often don't feel very heard they feel like they just got chucked out and no one cared and actually you know we all work in this profession because we do care and the connections we have with these children are just so important and lasting for them. Brilliant great and let's thank you to end on thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for listening. If you have found this resource useful, please consider making a charitable donation to CWMT by texting TALK18 and the amount to 70070. And to learn more about the work of the Charlie Waller Memorial Trust, please visit cwmt.org.uk.